It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, time certainly flies. This is our last special broadcast we are prepared for you while I am in India. I hope you've been blessed by the broadcast this week. As always, we pray, we strive to make them meaningful to you. We are not on the radio for our purposes. We're on the radio for God's purposes as best as we understand them to minister grace and truth to you, to help you stand, to help you be courageous, to be your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. If you do think of it, uh, pray just for grace on the traveling back from India, a long trip back, but often times when I've really met with the Lord or gotten some great writing done or even been able to get some rest in on the plane. And then God willing, Monday again, get back on Sunday and Monday back with you live right here as always. All right. I asked on Facebook and Twitter, what are some topics you'd love for me to address on the line of fire? We'll be preparing some special broadcasts for India. What are some of the topics you'd like me to address? So I'm taking this Friday. You've got questions. We've got answers. I'm taking this Friday and using it specifically to answer some of the questions, to interact with some of the topics you posted. Now, I just want to remind you, we do our best to be interactive every, every way that we can. So we have live talk radio unless I'm overseas and unable to do a live show or traveling for, for some reason that we can't avoid, I'm doing a live show, which means that phone lines are open and you can call. So that's one way we do our best to be interactive with you. And then we're very active on social media, especially Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, Instagram as well, but more so on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. So there too, you can post your comments, you can raise your concerns, you can ask your questions, you can share your testimonies. And in that way as well, we're able to read what you're saying. Things were able to get to our attention. In some cases, we're able to respond directly there. Then you can always write to our ministry through the website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. We have a team that, whose whole purpose is to answer your email questions and to respond to things that you're asking. And then some of those things, our team will get to me, Dr. Brown, you need to look at this. Or could you respond to this on radio or reach out to the person individually? So we do our best to be accessible to you. Obviously, if we're able to reach millions of people, we can't directly in interact with everyone, but we do our best. And then I often do uh, live streams on Facebook where I'll just come on and talk and say, hey, you post your question and I'll respond. So we're doing our best to be as interactive with you as we can be. And if you say, I, I feel left out, hey, we we're doing everything we know how to do to be interactive and then to deliver what God lays on our hearts for each of you. So if you're not connected to us on social media and you're there, you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on YouTube, connect with us. How do you do it? Just go to askdrbrown.org and you'll see the icons. All right, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and this way we can be interacting on a more regular basis. All right, uh, where do I want to start? How about this? Uh, Luis, or Luis says this, posted this on Facebook. So I, I'm not just responding to short questions today. Some will be short, but, but some are going to be longer going to open up. Hi, Dr. Brown, would it be possible to do a segment on the importance of or your take on contemporary Christian-based education 
and your advice or encouragement for those seeking to further their ecclesiastical education through a Bible school, university, or school of ministry like fire school, etc. Thanks, and God bless. Okay, number one, I believe it is super important, massively important, that we are involved in providing quality education for our children. Now, in some cases, it's perfectly fine for godly children, children in believing homes, to go to secular schools. Now, let's first talk about up through high school. So we're not talking about college university now, all right? In some cases, kids do great. Maybe the school system itself is a good school system. Maybe it's not as radically leftist in its leaning. Maybe it's not as indoctrinating in a negative way. Or maybe these kids are such that they're in a strong home environment, getting great discipling by the mom and dad. And maybe they've got other siblings with them in the same school and they do fine in a hostile environment and they thrive in it and they're able to share their faith and it's a good proving ground for them. But that's not everyone. And certainly many kids would do far, far better if they were homeschooled, if the parents had the ability to do that, or if they were in a Christian school, if the parents had the ability to help them be there. And for all of us who say, well, you just put your kids out of public school. It's that simple. Okay, well then help make a way for others to do that. If you're saying everyone should do it, I remember Christian ministries years ago saying to parents in California, you need to get your kids out of the public schools. I, I agreed in large part with that sentiment. Can't say every parent, every school, but I agreed in large part with that sentiment. However, however, the Christian ministries that are going to say that, the Christian leaders who are going to say that now need to do their best to help people do that. Because number one, not everyone has the ability to homeschool. Number two, not everyone has the ability in terms of finances to do it. Maybe mom and dad are both working. Number three, not everyone has the ability to send their kid to a Christian school in terms of what it costs. And Christian schools often get by with very little and, and the teachers and administrators work, work for much less than they could elsewhere because they have a heart to serve and make a difference. So these Christian schools need help as well. But having said all that, if you're able to make the choice, it's also important to realize that many kids don't do well in the one size fits all school system. And they do much better in say a homeschool setting where there can be much more flexibility in terms of how the children learn and at what pace they learn. Our educational system as we have it now is much more one size fits all cookie cutter. And many kids don't fit well into that, even putting aside Christian and biblical values. So if you're able to homeschool your kids, wonderful. And there are homeschooling networks, and there are many ways to make it very easy now with, with online programs and things like that. It's very different than it was a few decades back. And the same with Christian school. There are many more options that are much more accessible. So unless you know that your kid can do really well in a very secular environment or the environment that that public school environment is much more Christian in its orientation and the teachers have more of a fear of God and, and that we really need to look at other ways to raise and train our children outside of the public school setting. Because in many cases, there is an agenda. There's an underlying agenda that is against our faith. There are presuppositions that are against our faith. If science is going to be taught, it's not going to be taught in a way that presents the science of intelligent design as an option in thinking. It's not going to give you objections to evolution that exists. If there's going to be a class on sexuality, there's going to be a class that deals with these things or sex ed classes, almost always they're going to be taught from a, from a perspective that we would differ with in, in one way or another. Again, it's not universal, but this is largely the norm. LGBT activism in the schools is, is rampant. 
And again, from the perspective of LGBT activists, they're, they're helping the kids. They're doing what's best for the kids. We would take issue with that. In the same way, there are other things in terms of world religions. And you can almost guarantee that in most of these schools, if there's a presentation on Islam and in Christianity, Islam is going to come out looking better. And, and think of it, that your kids are going to be in an environment away from you, mom and dad, away from the influence that you want to have, or if you're a single parent raising your kids even more courageously, struggling through the many challenges with that, they're in an environment where they're being influenced by peers and by teachers who don't agree with you the vast majority of their day, a large portion of their day. And when they're home, they may be absorbed in other things, so you don't get that much time with them. I've mentioned this quite a few times, but I was speaking at a church of, oh, maybe seven, 8,000 in California a few years back, and I was talking to one of the pastors on staff, a good man, and he said, none of my grown adult children, so they were older teenagers or young adults, he said, none of them, none of them agree with me on homosexuality. And, and he wasn't saying they had rejected the Lord. He wasn't saying that. He was saying that as professing Christians, they don't agree with him. They've been more discipled by the culture. They've been more discipled by social media. They've been more discipled by the school system than by the gospel in their own household. So these are very serious issues. Again, you may not have the ability to do anything differently than send your kid into the public school system. All right, that may be your only option. In that case, be really involved with your kid's education. Talk to them daily about what they're learning. Be there for them, to pour into them, all right? You've got to prioritize that. It's more important than other things. Your kids are, are much more impressionable and pliable than you might realize for good or for bad. And, and then get involved with the school system as much as you can. It means going to meet with the teacher. If it means taking up an issue with, with the school, something you, you're not happy with, it's, it's the most important thing you can do outside of your own relationship with God and your spouse. It's, it's pouring into your kids. All right. Having said that, on a university level, I would say unless you're specifically called to go away to a secular school, you should consider a Christian university or Christian college. Because the atmosphere at secular universities is extraordinarily hostile to God. And many kids raised in the faith, whether they really knew the Lord or whether they're more nominal in their faith, many kids raised in the faith when they go off to secular school. So it's, it's, it's one thing if you're staying at home in a godly environment involving your local church and going to a school locally, commuting. It's another thing, much more intense when you're now on campus and that's your entire environment. And in, unless you are specifically called by God and parents don't just assume, oh, our kid needs an Ivy League education. Pray about it. Unless your kid is specifically called by God to a specific school, the only place you can study a certain thing or you felt clearly this is where the Lord was leading them, I would consider first a Christian college or university. Now, as far as ecclesiastical education, in other words, ministry training, you want to get ministry training. You want to get something that's going to help you do the work of ministry. Now, our school, Fire School of Ministry, will be going exclusively online, God willing, within the next year. And we may have interns that can uh, be mentored by us up close, in person, but otherwise we're going to be transitioning to an online program. We'll be talking more about that in the days ahead. We do have an inner city-based school in Chicago, Fire School Chicago. We have schools in the Philippines, in Cameroon, in Holland, in Italy, with potentially more schools to come internationally. So if you're in any of those nations, want to study and learn and be discipled and sit out, those are wonderful places to be. But having said that, 
there are fine online programs as well, as well as universities and seminaries that combine spiritual depth and love for the Lord and practical ministry with academic education. Ideally, you want to combine them. Ideally, you want to be in an environment that is passionate for the Lord, that is serious about the word, that helps you get trained in practical ministry, as well as gives you the solid academics that you need. Many times people will train for ministry and go off to a seminary that doesn't have that combination. So you get intellectually stimulated, but you will not be as equipped to minister to the needs of the flock or to do the work of evangelism. And there are a number of schools that are excellent schools. If you have specific questions and want to write to us asking for recommendations, we can help you there. All right. We're addressing at some length some topics you've posed for us. Much more to come. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us. This is my last day in India with a special broadcast here for you. On The Line of Fire, we have prepared these in advance before going to India. Uh, Too many difficulties with doing live broadcasts from India. And by the way, when I was doing them, from 12.30 to 2.30 in the morning from India. That's the time differential from Eastern time to Indian time, IST, they call it Indian Standard Time, one time zone for the entire massive country of India. Yeah, it's also known as Indian stretchable time because things don't always operate exactly with pinpoint precision like you might get, say, in Germany, or I've been told Switzerland, even more pinpoint. Yeah, they make Rolexes in Switzerland, don't they? Anyway, think. Any, Anyway, anyway. Uh, sometimes we'd be scrambling to get the Ethernet connection working. And I mean scrambling. And I, I, I'd be staying at a hotel where they had Ethernet connection, they had tech support there, and the thing's not working properly, and they're giving me a code, and it's not working, and I can't get the computer connected and the radio unit connected. And, and I'm, I'm trying to be polite, but I'm saying, excuse me, you don't understand. Someone needs to come now. Yes, sir, we'll have someone. I, no, 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 you don't understand. The thing's not working. I've got to do an international radio. Yes, sir, we will. I, no, it's got to be now. So we, we had too many complications and times when we, we couldn't broadcast effectively or the connection was not good enough. So uh, we prepared these shows in advance. And God willing, boy, I, I think right until the end of the year, we every day phone lines open, 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 open. I mean, I don't do a lot of broadcast on Christmas, for example, but you know what I'm talking about. We'll have a lot of time for your calls. Let's see. Um, oh, just looking here. Oh, Randy. Randy asked this question on Facebook. What's the biggest hindrance, or the biggest hindrances to witnessing to Hindu or other predominant Indian world religions? Well, that's, that's certainly an appropriate question for me to answer from India, all right, or answer while I am in India. There, I'm not an expert on ministry to Hindus. You say you've been to India 26 times. Yes, that's true. But when I'm there, and I'll say this quite openly, I am not doing, quote, crusade meetings to proselytize Indians. That's not why I'm there, all right? It's not why I'm there. Uh, I am there pouring into believers and spending quality time with my friends there, 
doing a Bible school graduation and things like that. The, the Indian believers there do what they do and share the gospel. So I pour into them and they do outreach. My primary calling when I travel is not to be an evangelist, except when I'm doing Jewish outreach and things like that. Then I'm functioning in the ministry of an evangelist or sharing the gospel with someone on a flight, etc. But my primary calling is not to be an evangelist. When you send an evangelist into the exact same environment that I'm in, you know, there's a joke that heaven for an evangelist is not a single believer in the audience they're preaching to. And hell for an evangelist is everyone in the audience is a solid believer. Now, it's a bit of an exaggerated statement, but those that I know that are really called to be evangelists, that's, that's what they live and breathe for. And they're okay preaching to believers, but they want to stir the hearts of those believers so those believers wake up and reach the lost. And they want to get those believers on fire for God. But their burden is to reach the lost. When I travel, I have a concern for the lost. My, my heart beats for the lost, but my primary calling is to equip the body and to challenge believers to go deeper, to, to preach a message of, of repentance and refreshing and renewal and strengthening to call believers and leaders deeper, to equip them. So yeah, I've, I've done meetings in India, especially many years ago that were outreach meetings, but that's not why I'm there. That's not why I go. And uh, therefore, yeah, I, I can tell you about the Hindu religion. I can tell you about conversations, many conversations I've had with Hindus and tell you about the interaction. Um, but I'm not answering this as an expert in in the Hindu religion or the Sikh religion, which is also prominent in, in Northern Indian Punjab territory and things like that. But a few things. One is now that there is a rising Hindu militant, a militant, let me say it the other way, a, a rising militant Hinduism in India, wanting to make India a Hindu nation and openly and overtly persecuting Christians. It's a very serious time that needs prayer in India. And I'll share more with you, God willing, when I'm back in the States next week. So the problem is that Christianity is therefore looked at as a hostile outside force, or as someone in a crowd once yelled out as we were preaching in a, in a extreme Hindu village and radicals took over the stage with knives and razor blades in their hands and shut down our meeting. It was a pretty wild scene, but we, we knew what we were getting into when we went there. Uh, one man yelled out, it's white man's religion. So even though, in fact, Jesus was not a white man and the Old Testament prophets were not white men and the apostles were not white men, this is the perception. And it's part of colonialism. It, it's, it's part of British rule. It's, it's part of an outside oppressive force. And the notion may also be that it's a poor man's religion because many times the missionaries were most successful in reaching the poor and the needy and they really cared for the poor and the needy and they broke through the caste system which the other society lived with and, and therefore gave dignity and hope to these poor outcasts, to these untouchables who then came to faith as, as a result of being exposed to the love of God and the truth of the gospel. So it can be perceived as a white man's religion or a poor man's religion. And that has to be overcome by speaking the truth of the gospel, by taking an interest in the individual that you're speaking with, by, by, introducing them to people of different castes and backgrounds, to high caste Christians and things like that, or Christians who come from a high caste background. So to demolish the wrong thinking with truth and to let them understand, hey, Jesus was more brown skinned than white skinned, according to me, you know, just to try to bridge those gaps and, 
and say one of the very first apostles was not a white man. He came, India is one of the first countries to, to, to receive this good news 2,000 years ago. Uh, an, another potential response from Hindus is kind of the exact opposite, which is we're fine with Jesus. We love Jesus. We recognize Jesus. I remember doing a village outreach decades ago, maybe, I don't know, 22, three years ago. And normally I was doing leaders meetings in the daytime. And at night I'd be preaching to crowds, but again, mainly to believers, but they're unbelievers there too, but mainly to believers, stir their hearts to surrender afresh to the Lord. And this particular day, instead of doing leaders meetings in the day, I, I did a village outreach with the team just to experience it myself. Uh, so I'm giving a message through the translator, as simple a message as I can bring that would, not because the people are, are uh, ignorant, but because of the cultural differences, et cetera. So I'm, I'm giving this message in this village with a bunch of huts and things like that. And a, a man starts gathering everyone, gathering them, gathering them. Oh yeah, you come, come, come. He's the evangelist. And he's grinning as I'm speaking and he's nodding and he's saying, yes, yes, yes. So I, I thought, cool, he's a local believer. He's a believer in the village and he's been preaching to people. And now we come in, these foreigners with our Indian translators and we're bringing the same message and he's all pumped. Yes, yes, yes. At last, someone's preaching. It's getting every, there's a little crowd, maybe 20 people together. And I'm preaching to them. And do you want to turn to the Lord and receive the Lord? Yes, they want to pray and all this. And so we're done. I go into the guy's little house, kind of hut thing and, and I see some idolatrous stuff in there. And I said, you, you got to remove that. I was, no, 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 no. He loved the idols. He loved this God and this goddess. And he loved Jesus too. No problem. He's a great teacher, enlightened leader, the divine incarnation. So that's where we have to show how Jesus is different. That's where we have to show how the one true God is different. And interestingly, when you are preaching to some people and you talk about the incarnation, God came down, took on human form. You talk to a traditional Jew about that. You say it like that. It's like God came down to earth and took on human form. That's the height of idolatry, making God into a man or a man into a God. And, and when we would speak to a traditional Jew, we'd explain God in his complex unity sent his son into the world and his son died for us, his son bearing the very divine image, et cetera, himself being eternal and, and open this up through what the scriptures say and, and the mystery of the incarnation. When you're preaching to Hindus and you're talking about God sent his son, that would suggest that there was a male God who had relations with a female God who gave birth to a child God and sent that child God, that son into the world. So it's much better and speaking to a Hindu to say God came down into the world. That they can relate to more in their thinking, the idea of, of an incarnation, they can relate to that. What we have to show is this is the one and only time it ever happened. It is utterly unique in what happened. And then point to the cross, the cross, the cross, redemption, forgiveness, redemption, forgiveness, redemption, forgiveness. You will find, although Islam can talk about forgiveness and although Hinduism can look for redemption and incarnations, reincarnations and things like that, that the idea of redemption and forgiveness of sins and right relationship with God and transformation and grace is not something that would be found in these religions. If you're speaking to a Sikh, S-I-K-H, you'll, you'll know a devout Sikh because you'll see the man, he's not cut his hair ever. So he's got his hair like in a, in a bun 
and he's he wears it kind of like with a almost like a stocking over his head. He's got a he's got a beard, and there'll also be these other items of identification of a Sikh. Uh, that is such a specific religion, more monotheistic than Hinduism, but such a specific religion, even though they welcome the scriptures from other religions, there's a very intense identity of being a Sikh. And somehow you must communicate to that person. And I've not done much witnessing to Sikhs over the years, but something that transcends their strong cultural identity and, and helps them to connect first and foremost with the one almighty God and salvation through him. And that being the most important form of identity. And then they could come with this holy message to liberate and help their people. All right, we're taking a little more time going in depth, responding to some of the topics, questions you have proposed for us to deal with this week in India. We'll be right back. Much more to come. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us today on this special Friday broadcast. You've got questions. We've got answers. I am still in India. Thank you for your prayer support as I'm here on this trip. I'll give you a full report about the trip, trip number 26 to India when we're back in the States, I'm scheduled to be traveling over the weekend, getting back, oh, Sunday afternoon or evening, and then back with you live, God willing, on Monday. But I did ask on Facebook and Twitter a few days back, hey, we're preparing special broadcasts for while I am in India. So what topics would you like me to address? I want to respond to some of those topics now. This one was posted on Twitter. And Ajin wants to know, why is Jesus the only way to heaven? How do I how do I explain that? And the difference between karma and grace. So we understand as believers why Jesus is the only way to heaven. It makes sense to us. How can we convey that to someone of another faith? So we're presupposing that the person we're talking to believes in in some sense in a in a deity, a world to come. A future because we're we're presupposing by by the question here that they believe in a heaven, that they believe in a, a world to come where there is joy and peace and no suffering and and the presence of a beautiful, wonderful God is is there all the time. Okay, wonderful. Praise God. But why do they need Jesus? Why can't they get there on their own? Why aren't there multiply acceptable ways, multiple ways to God that are equally acceptable. That's how I should have said it. Not multiply, multiple ways to God that are equally acceptable. Why not? Now, I, I might first ask the question, do you think that all roads lead to the same destination? Generally speaking, in other words, when you see a highway and roads going in different directions, do you think that they are all going to the same destination? Well, obviously not. That's why you have all the different roads. They're going to different places. Okay. Do you think that all decisions in life bring the same outcome? Well, obviously not. Some are good decisions, some bad. So on the surface of it, is it that hard to understand that not every good intention gets the desired result? 
And then not every road goes to the same place. Is, is that philosophically objectionable? I think most people would say, no, oh, it makes sense. So just because there are lots of different religions and lots of different teachings, doesn't necessarily mean that they're all good or that they all get to the same destination. Here's the same question. Do all diets work the same? Now, if you've ever lost weight effectively or you, you live a healthy lifestyle, you know the answer is no, of course not. There's some that are bogus, some that give short-term results, some that do more harm than good, and some that are really helpful, all right? And it's not a matter of, well, everybody gets to choose which works best for them. No, the fact is some things are healthier than others. Some things are better than others. So people can understand that. Okay, so just theoretically, we can say, there's no reason to say that all religions, all religious expressions are as good, that one is good as the other, based on what criteria? Who says? Why is faith, why is religion any less tangible, any less real than the direction of a road or the effect of a decision that's made? Or the reality of a diet, is this healthy or, or not healthy, right? You, you follow me so far? In other words, people just make spiritual things so ethereal, so just, well, anything. Well, it's not like that with anything else, is it? And now we come at it from a different angle. When you have a company and you're hiring and firing people, it's your company. Do you make the decisions about hiring and firing? Or is it up to the employees to decide if they want to get hired and if they want to get fired. Because obviously not. You do the interviews. Okay, I need someone that can be here Monday to Friday, eight to six. You put in a long day here, Monday to Friday, eight to six. And this is what we pay you. Yeah, uh-uh. I'm going to be here uh, two hours a day. And this is what I'm going to make. And now you're, no, it's not your decision. It's the boss's decision. So if in fact there is a God who created us, does he have the right to set the standards? Does he have the right to set the entry requirements for being part of his family, being with him, being in his kingdom, being in heaven forever? I think most people would say yes to that. So we're just laying some foundations, every, every, making sense so far. You can talk to people from just about any kind of background with this, as long as they believe there is a world to come. Because again, that's the question, why is Jesus the only way there? So I, I next want to say, okay, do we have any idea what God's standards are? Any, do you? Think the Ten Commandments might be good standards? Do, is that a good place to start? Do you agree with that? Do you, do you agree with the idea of you're supposed to love God with all your heart? Love your neighbors yourself? Are those good ethics to hold to? And then you want to basically show that we all fall short. Every one of us falls short. So now we have a problem. We're falling short of the entry-level requirements that God himself has set. How do we then get in? Well, God just lets us in because he's nice. He just lets us in because he's, he's good. Okay. Slight problem with that. Uh, is, is, can you run the world like that? Yeah. Okay. You rape and kill. No problem. You don't have to go to jail because the judge is good. No, that's not a good judge. That's a bad judge. And if, if I, as a bad, evil, wicked sinner going to heaven, what does heaven want with a bad, evil, wicked sin? Do you want me to be your next door neighbor? Do I want you to be my next door neighbor if, if you're a bad, evil, wicked sinner? You say, no, but we all just change when we get there. Well, who said? Where? How? Isn't that God like just taking away our will and just making us into different people? Like, blah, zaps us? What if, what if you don't like worshiping all the time? 
What if you don't like a place where there's a, what if heaven in your mind is getting drunk with no hangover and having sex with no consequences and stealing at will for the thrill of it and not getting penalized? Well, that's not heaven, friends. That's not heaven. Heaven's a place of light and beauty. So how can God just forgive us? Now we get to the heart of the gospel. And this ties in with the karma versus grace. What we want to explain in all the different world religions is that this is the only one where God says, here's the solution. Here's the solution. I'm going to make a just decision because everybody deserves punishment. We all fall short. We've all sinned. Our sins deserve punishment. Everyone deserves punishment. But I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve and I'm going to put it on my son who's absolutely perfect. Now, the human response is, that's not right. That's not fair. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not fair. It's grace. It's not fair. It's not getting what we deserve. It's getting the opposite of what we deserve. It's an extraordinary act of divine love, unprecedented, unparalleled in all world religion, unprecedented and unparalleled. In fact, you really can't go beyond that in terms of a display of extraordinary mercy and kindness and love and favor. Grace. Yes. Now, go a little further. God puts our sins on his son so that when we ask him for mercy, God can say, I forgive you. The price has been paid. And now he can give us a new heart and make us ready for heaven. You say, yeah, well, that's Christianity. Judaism has one set of beliefs and, and Buddhism another and Hinduism another and Confucianism another and Taoism and Shintoism and all these different religions. They all have their different expressions. But here's the problem. There's only one that has a cross. There's only one that has full atonement for sins. So Jesus prays and he says, Father, if there's any way for me to, to bypass this, let it be, but I'm going to drink the cup otherwise showing the intensity of what was to come and the agony of what was to come. Not just the crucifixion and the beating, but the bearing the sins of the world on his own shoulders. Who could imagine, imagine this? So if there was any other way, Jesus wouldn't have to die. If, if you didn't, if, if Buddhism could get you into right relationship with God or doesn't really believe in a personal God or, or Hinduism with all of its reincarnations or, or Judaism with its, its law-based theology, based with repentance and mercy as well. If Judaism could do it, if, if Islam could do it, it, you wouldn't need the cross. So the whole message is that if, if you recognize Jesus did die for our sins, then he's the only way because there was no other way. If there's another way, he wouldn't have died for our sins. If you could be righteous just by your own obedience, he wouldn't have had to die for our sins. You can make the argument in that way and pray that the Holy Spirit will use it to penetrate and then always quote scripture, even if they don't believe the Bible quote scripture because there's power in the word. And that in short is the difference between karma and grace. Karma is like, hey, you get what's, what's, you get what's coming to you. Okay, okay. So you were involved in a hit and run accident and someone was terribly injured, but you took off and no one got the license plate and, and they couldn't trace it back to you and you got off scot-free. You were high, you were drunk, you got off scot-free and this other person's crippled. Karma would say, it's going to be new, you next time. If not this life, your next life. It's going to be you. It, you're, you're going to suffer the consequences of this one way or another. You know, you're, you, you ever have it joking around playing ball with, you know, with your friends as a kid 
and uh, there's a really bad call. You know, the team, no, 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 it's good. It's like, no, that was wrong. They, they broke the rule. No, no. It's just, so the rule goes totally against you. And then later, you know, maybe the ref makes the opposite call and it goes against the ones that got the other one. You go, karma, karma, come back to you. You benefited from a bad ruling earlier. Now, now bad ruling came against you. We benefit from it. Yeah, it's karma. So how does that work out in, in our own lives? Well, we ultimately get what we deserve. We get what's coming to us. Grace is Jesus got what we deserve and we get what's coming to him. Talk about a wow, oh my moment. That's the gospel. When you really understand the gospel, it really is too good to be true. It really is too wonderful to conceive. And then when you see your own sin and the sinlessness of the Savior, you, you almost want to run to the cross before he's crucified, say, don't, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. And I remember as a fairly new believer, saved, I would say, less than two years. Uh, and there was a brother that came in, an evangelist, and he was preaching on the crucifixion from Luke's gospel, the four words there. They crucified him. Maybe he'd been saved less than a year at that point. And he went through the there and Jerusalem and they and crucified him. And as he began to talk about the crucifixion and what Jesus was going through, and I, 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 I was crying on the inside and, and crying some on the outside. God, no, stop, stop. Don't, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I deserve the punishment. Not, you don't, no, I'm not worthy of this. I was so struck by the transaction, but that's grace. That's love of God. Hey, maybe I'm speaking to you right now. And that's you. And, and you're finally understanding the meaning of the cross. Cry out right now for mercy. Yeah, you're guilty. Yeah, you deserve judgment. Jesus took your place. Say, God, forgive me. Wash me clean. I want to lead a new life. Make me your child. If you really cry out to him, let us know. Write to us through the website, askdrbrown.org. We would love to help you. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for being part of our special Q&A broadcast. I am... In India right now, as you hear my voice, but we prepared this broadcast in advance. I am not dealing with breaking news or anything like that. If you want to know my latest commentary on the news and, and key issues that are being addressed, just go to our website, askdrbrown.org, and look at our latest articles that are posted because on a regular basis, we are addressing those. If you don't get my emails, you say, no, I'm connected with you on Facebook, Twitter. You, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Be connected. But you never know how long those platforms will be open to us. You, you never know. Uh, look, as massive as they are now, remember MySpace was the big thing once. You know, remember BlackBerry was the big phone. You, you, you just don't know how long certain things will last or platforms will be there, or especially these days, how much we'll be able to continue to get our message out the way we do through these platforms. So get my emails. And every Friday, it, it can vary by day, but normally every Friday we send out an email and it gives you a, a, the headline and the summary of each of the articles that I've written during the week. Could be four, five, could be six, as, as well as any new videos that we posted as well. So you will be aware then at the end of every week, if you missed anything, if you want to catch up, there it is. Also known at the beginning of the week, we put together a special resource package at a great discount, let you know about it. And here and there, we'll share with you a special announcement. 
maybe a major debate that's coming up or, or maybe a key opportunity to be able to say in Israel, oh, 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 I don't want to forget this. Then I, then I want to go to your questions. I, 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 I want to do this regularly and I haven't done it yet this week and I can't believe it. Okay. Our Israel trip, you can still come. You can still come with us to Israel. The trip is February 1st through 10th. You can still do it. We just heard from a woman. She was, she was sending, I think, her, her kids and in-laws, you know, or, uh, sons and sons-in-law, something like that, or sons and daughters-in-law, uh, uh, two couples as a Christmas present, was sending them to India. Yeah, you've got to get all the funds in now. Normally, we would have closed this out, closed this out months early, but we open things up for more people. It's going to be the tour of a lifetime. All right, maybe, maybe you got some holiday money that's, that's coming to you as a gift and you can designate it in a certain way. So you've got to get on this now. Go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, and you'll see it right on the, the homepage. A banner will come up for the Israel trip. And let me tell you what makes it so special. Not only will you be around a, a great bunch of people, and by the way, it's not 10 buses or even four buses or, or things like that, but we'll have a couple of buses, so it's fairly intimate, okay? So you'll be around a great bunch of people you get to know well while you're there. We'll connect you with Messianic Jewish believers in the land. So you'll get to connect with, as we say, the living stones. You'll have a fabulous tour guide. And then my colleague, Scott Volk, will be with you every step of the way. All right. He, he is an awesome guy. He's an amazing guy. He's with you every step of the way. We call him everybody's best friend. And then you'll go, the tour is tailor-made to people of, of our background. All right. So every day you're, in fact, each day you're like, this is a lifetime of stuff I just got. And that's just one day. All right. But, but then, but then I'll be there at key sites teaching as well. So be it Elijah calling down fire from Mount Carmel. I mean, we're, we'll be there. We'll look out at, at Armageddon and, and I'll be doing a teaching from there. Yeah, we, we do baptisms in the River Jordan. We, and, and I was a little reluctant to do it the first time, but whoa, it's just, the Lord's there. It's amazing. But then at night, we'll be doing stuff together. We'll have time, just our group, only our group, no outsiders, an intimate Q&A time. We'll have time where we'll worship and I'll, I'll minister the word to you. We'll have time where you can go and do live radio with me. We'll do it together. Whoever wants to go, we'll go together. So we have amazing opportunities. We call it Holy Fire in the Holy Land because you get the best of all the different types of ministry on one amazing trip, February 1st through 10th. So sign up, sign up today. AskDrBrown.org. Clock really is ticking, but we're able to open things up, get a little more space. So we've got room for you. That's right, you. Join us. Okay. Uh, there's a question from Renee. And she asked if I could address the mass exodus of those who don't feel the need to attend church anymore. Let's put these people in several different categories. One is the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the religious nuns. Those who don't say they're atheists or even agnostics, but they're, they don't identify with any religion. And they have left church, whether they were ever truly saved or not. God knows. Some yes, some no. But they left church because they're disgruntled. They don't like religion. They think religion has gotten too political. They think religion's hypocritical. Whatever it is, they've dropped out. Those people really need a fresh encounter with Jesus. They need to really know him so that they identify, first and foremost, as Jesus followers. So I put them in a separate category. They need to encounter the Lord, really know him, so that it's, it's not a matter of identifying as someone with no religious affiliation. It's a matter of identifying as a wholehearted follower of Jesus. 
So let's put them in a separate category. Let's say the other categories would be those who just say, hey, church is boring. I love Jesus. I identify as a Christian, but church is boring. And then those who say, well, I have an online community. I have an online community. And why do I need to go to a building? Why do I need to go to a home? Why do I need to gather with other people? I have an online community. And uh, I, I brought a message for an online group the other day. They said, we just started an online church. Could you bring a message for us? So I don't know who's there or the background to it, but I knew it was an opportunity to bring the word to people. And I did it. And, you know, I'll, I'll get into all different kinds of settings if I can bring the message that God's laid on my heart, if I can bring it freely. Uh, George Whitfield, I believe it was, who once said, I, I, I'd preach from the Pope's pulpit if he gave it to me. Remember, in those days, the Pope was kind of looked at as the Antichrist, the Catholic Church is the, the great harlot of Babylon and things like that. So for Whitfield to say that was saying a lot. So you open the door to me, he's saying, I'll preach. I'll bring the gospel. So, by the way, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that the online church was the Catholic church or making the comparison. I'm simply saying, I don't know much about what the group is doing or why they're meeting online, et cetera. But we regularly live stream our, our, our messages. Many churches do that now. Some live stream their whole worship service and people who are shut in love it. I can't get out. And, and in years past, I couldn't, you know, unless my church happened to be on the radio, I couldn't listen. But now I can, I can just sit there with my tablet or computer or even cell phone and and worship with the people and hear the pastor preach. And I love it. And there are plenty of people that aren't in church for whatever reason. So if I can reach them through the message or they can listen to the message on top of whatever else they're doing, wonderful. But what would I say to those who say, I don't need to be part of a physical body. I recognize there's some that the only access you have is internet. You're in a closed country. And the only way that you can have any fellowship is via internet. And then it has to be in a secret group. So thank God for online fellowship. Thank God for online gospel preaching. Thank God for online discipleship to the extent it can be given. And we are in an increasingly cyber community, an increasingly wired community. So there are going to be more and more people that have that as their expression. However, if you have the choice to be part of a flesh and blood assembly, and there are other people who love Jesus in your community, then it's really imperative that you're with them. When Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the custom of doing, you say, well, they didn't have internet options. I, I understand that. But there is something about face-to-face, life-to-life interaction and communication. Let me ask you a question. How, how would you like to do an online marriage that stays online? You never get to be with the person face-to-face. Physically, you're never together. It was said it couldn't be a, a full marriage in that respect. There'd be something missing, obviously, obviously. And, and you know, even if you're 85 years old and, and the sexual aspect is, is not that important to you, you know, still just an online relationship still is going to have limitations. And then even if you become really best friends with someone just in an online relationship, the, the fact of the matter is that, that, that this one person, all right, so when we are together, there are so many things that happen as a body. Number one, we need each other. We need each other. We're not islands. We're not totally independent human beings. We need each other in very real and tangible ways. So 
that, that means that in your time of crisis, in my time of crisis, in our time of confusion, in our time of needing direction or strengthening, what, we, we need one another. We're, we're a body and no part of the body functions independently. It doesn't function separately from the rest of the body. We need leadership. We do. There are many verses that speak about the role of leaders and the equipping role of leaders and accountability to leaders, a healthy accountability, not a bondage or oppressive one. When you're just on your own and you can come and go as you, you please, there, there is not that ability for someone to have that leadership role in your life. And, and there's no accountability in your life. You just go from here to there, to there, to there. And, and we see so much of that today, that, that hyper-individualism. So we need a place where we can interact with each other. There's something that happens in corporate worship. There's something that happens in corporate prayer. There's something that just doesn't happen in a private setting. So again, if you're only, if you're in a community where there's no gospel preaching church or house fellowship, you're in a closed country and your only access is, is internet, wonderful. But if you have the choice to be with flesh and blood people, you need to, you will be sharpened, you will grow. Your own gifts will come to greater maturity. God can, can deal with junk in your life and, and help warn you about error, as well as you can be a blessing and help to others. So it's really essential. Don't drop out. You say, I've been hurt and burned. Well, ultimately, Jesus didn't hurt and burn you. Hopefully, you've processed that. But even if you had a bad experience, there are plenty of other people that will love you. There are plenty of other people who care for you. I've been in the Lord now 47 years, and yeah, I've had my share of bad church experiences. But overall, over the years, I'd say people have done their best to love me. I've done my best to love them. Get back into local fellowship. You need them. They need you. All right, friends, next time you hear my voice, God willing, on Monday, back live in the States.